And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Today's Wednesday, October 13th. It's our mailbag day, and I'm very excited to welcome my good friend Ted Nguyen. Ted, how you doing, buddy? Good, good. Week five and uh, some crazy games ahead, so excited to answer these questions. We got some good ones. As always, guys, I appreciate you sending these in. I appreciate everyone who called in. I appreciate everyone who sent an email. We try to get to as many of these as we can. We don't want the shows to be four hours long, but I just want you to know every single week. I know I always say this, but I genuinely appreciate you guys taking the time to do this. It means a lot. It's the reason that we do it because of the quality of the questions and your guys' engagement truly is something that I appreciate and I'm grateful for. So thank you again. Let's start with the voicemail this week. Kent, cue it up. Hi, this is Bryson from Lexington, and my question is, which quarterback is most helped by their play caller and which quarterback is most disadvantaged by their play caller, especially in light of Herbert's amazing performance this past Sunday, just trying to get a feel for which coach is helping their quarterback or hurting their quarterback. Appreciate that question from Bryson. I always like these questions, just kind of a landscape of the league. And I wanted to ask you this, Ted, because you do such a great job kind of digging into the granular aspects of the X's and O's of the game. Uh, So I I really like what Sean McVay is doing for Stanford. Obviously, Stanford's helping him out, too. Uh, But just as far as wide open guys, they've they've even left plays on the field where, you know, Stanford might miss by uh, a yard or two or two. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, right now, you know, that Rams offense is cooking and um, McVay is a big part of it. The Arches concept you mentioned is interesting. Seth Galina from PFF tweeted this out last week and he tweeted out a sequence of plays where the Rams ran Arches. And if you would explain Arches just in a very simple way, if the inside receiver kind of clears out and mm-hmm. then there's receiver one spot outside of him kind of follows. So it's like it looks kind of like a double slant in a way, but it's that receiver is following the first receiver that vacates that area. Mm-hmm. They're moving in a similar direction. So the Rams just run it out of a very uh, various personnel packages, various formations, but it's all sequenced the same way. They're all building off one another. And I think that's why it's so cool to watch this team is you can feel the sequencing. He understands exactly how one play goes into the next play. He understands how to set stuff up. And I always appreciate that. And I think he has a really good sense of that. And you talk about quarters beaters. Sean McVay has such a 
deep understanding of NFL defenses and how they're trying to attack him. And I think he's really tried to dig into and tap into where the league is going, what the next step is going to be, so he can stay one step ahead of that. And I think that's what you've seen so far this year, and the results have been excellent. I have a couple guys that come to mind. Kellen Moore is in there for me. Mm. We've talked about the Cowboys offense a lot on this show. Obviously, a lot of talent. I mean, both up front, their quarterback, their receiving talent. But I think some of the stuff they've done with personnel, play design, again, the way that things build off one another – They've done a fantastic job coordinating that offense this year. I I was kind of disappointed with the way they looked even over the first month of last season with Dak Prescott. They were putting up all these gaudy numbers, but I thought the offense was kind of static and had some room to grow. They've grown. This full offseason with that coaching staff and kind of letting Kellen Moore cook with the receivers he has with Dak Prescott, I think the results have been excellent. The other guy I would mention is Kevin Stefanski. I was looking up some of the numbers today. How many yards per attempt do you think Baker Mayfield is averaging on screen passes this year? Um, I was just gonna say yes. The, the, some of those brown screen passes are nasty, but I would um, I would assume. I mean, just because you sound like it's gonna be, a, you make it sound like it's gonna be a big number. I'm gonna say twelve yards per attempt. Thirteen point two. Okay. Okay. No other team in the league is averaging more than 8.8 yards per attempt on screen passes. The Browns are at 13.2. Baker leads the league in yardage on screen passes. 22% of his passing yards this season have come on screens. When you think about just the, all the ways that the Browns make it easier for him, they're innumerable. The ways they use play action, the ways they use their screen game. So I think that those two guys definitely come to mind for me. And then Sean McVay was my third one. All right. This takes us to our next question, this conversation about coordinators, to a great email from Mike. I love these sorts of questions. Mike asks, if teams allowed coordinators or position coaches to be traded midseason, who do you believe could make an immediate impact for an on-the-cusp team this year? This could be a straight swap of coordinators or position coach personnel for another or draft picks based on the value of the coach or even current head coaches that are on the hot seat that would be better suited for coordinator roles. Totally bonkers and stupid question, but something I've always thought about and wondered if anyone else might have thought about it as well. It is not a stupid question. I love shit like this. I think it's really fun. I had a couple that immediately came to mind. Did you have any that just instantly clicked for you? Yeah, I think. Greg Roman is doing an underrated job with the uh, the Ravens right now. And I, I honestly think that he would do wonders for Justin Fields if he was uh, the oh, coordinator man. for the Bears. Uh, because right now, you know, watching the Bears offense, I think they're doing some good under center run stuff, some good play action stuff. But they're not doing nearly enough with the option game with Justin Fields. I mean, you know, Justin Fields c- clearly has some things that he's, he's working on. He needs to develop as a passer, but you could really help him out by having, you know, a strong option game because he's an elite athlete. And this offensive line is actually pretty good at run blocking, not that great at pass blocking. So if you have a, a strong option game put in there and then you have some of the deep shot type of concepts that Roman is using this year to make the Ravens passing game explosive. And they're actually third in the league of a rate of explosive pass plays with 20.2%. So they're, they're getting guys open and uh, I I would love to see fields in a Greg Roman offense. I like that one a lot. That's interesting. I, I, mine was teams that aren't very good. So Mm -hmm. you could rent them for a little while. That's the direction that I went. (laughs) My first one, 
I want the Washington football team to trade for Mike Zimmer. I want to mm. see Mike Zimmer coordinate the talent on the Washington football defense because I am so disappointed with the way that they have played. And for whatever you want to say about the Vikings team success over the last couple of years and how many games they've won, their defense is still playing at a pretty high level without a ton of top-tier talent. I want to see what Mike Zimmer could do with the defensive front that Washington has, all of those guys on that roster. I think it would be fireworks. They would not be 29th in EPA per player, whatever they are right now, if Mike Zimmer was coordinating that defense. No, quarterbacks will be uh, will be really sore after a game with the Mike Zimmer Washington <laughs> football team defensive line. I mean, man, it's... Have you seen? Have you really watched the uh, Washington football team defense closely? The some of the blown so coverage. Fronts. Like, yeah, go ahead. I watched the front earlier a couple weeks ago. I talked about it with Mitch a little bit. I want to dig into what's happening on the back end because obviously the big plays jump out. I was looking at some of the numbers today. They're twenty second in success rate allowed in EP, on, on defense, which that's not good. But they're twenty ninth in EPA, so that gap is explained by all the big plays that they're giving up. And Ron Rivera came out today and was talk, said, you know, well, you know, it's only four or five plays that swing a game. We're not going to make any changes off of that. Four or five plays, <laughs> you could give up five touchdowns on four or five plays. It's one of the bigger disappointments, one of the bigger surprises in the entire league this year. I'm kind of deflated about how bad they've been. They're blowing coverages at a crazy rate right now. <laughs> like, you know, the, you remember that one, you know, against the Giants where Steve Slayton dropped it. They blew two against Stefan Diggs. Yeah. Uh, they blew another one against uh, Cordell Patterson, the darling of the league right now. And they blew another one against the Saints. So it's just crazy what's happening there with that much talent on the defense. That should not be happening. I had two more. Said Joe Brady of the Bengals to work with Joe Burrow mm. and Jamar Chase. I mean, it just he could just be on the staff. I mean, I would like to see him call plays. I think he would do a better job than what Zach Taylor has done for them there. But I still just throw him into the mix. I think that would be fun, even though the Panthers are pretty good so far. Send Robert Sala to coordinate the Seahawks defense. Jets don't need him for right now. You know, it's a long game there. He can come back in the offseason. We'll address this when things get started. I think that what he did in San Francisco and the job that he's done as a defensive coach, they could only be helped by his input and his presence there in Seattle because things are not going as well as they might have hoped on that side of the ball so far this year. Yeah, now the Joe Brady's or Bengals one is good because that's another offense that has a bunch of guys just running wide open is, is the Panthers, and Sam Donald's having some trouble uh, hitting those guys right now, but Bra- I think Joe Brady is doing his job. All right, speaking of the Bengals, let's get to our next voicemail. Hey, Robert, it's Jack. Bengals fan here. Um, I didn't lose my voice from the game. I lost that the other day. But is there any lessons or glimmers of hope that I can take from today? I get that they technically competed with the banged-up Packers team, but do I have any reason to be optimistic or are the Bengals just going to be frisky, I guess? Ted, you, me and Nate talked about this a little bit yesterday, just the takeaways we might have had from the Bengals' loss yesterday. I think the answer is yes. I think there are reasons to be optimistic. I'm curious what you think after watching the Bengals here for the first five weeks of the season. I know. I, I think there's a reason to be optimistic. Um, the, the, I thought the defense played the Packers as well as you could for, for a while, but you know, just, 
when you give Aaron continue to give Aaron Rodgers chances, he's going to eventually take advantage. I think Awuzie is a real find uh, in, in free agency. Um, he did a pretty good job on Devontae Adams for for most of the game. Um, and and with that offense, you know, I, I think Joe, I I criticize that um, the Chase pick for a little while. This guy thought they should have picked Sewell, but. Seeing Burrow and Chase play together, you know, I think they made the right decision. They still have some offensive line issues, especially the depth there. Uh, but you know, putting those two together uh, has really—I think they're going to be a good combination for a long time, and they'll eventually be able to fix that offensive line. Just hopefully, they don't get um, Burrow uh, injured or anything for next season. I think he's really developing and coming into his own, and um, I, I think that's exciting when you have a quarter young quarterback that. Um, is coming to into his own. You have a chance to be good in the future. So, you know, watching that offense yesterday, I just got the feeling like they were going to score when they got the ball. So um, I see some good things for this team, and they're a young team um, with some talent. Yeah, I think having building blocks is something that they've missed. You know, they really have not had much homegrown talent over the last five years, and that's how you arrive in this place. right? When you draft horribly in the way that they have over the last several years, it's really hard to win. It's really hard to be good. And now when you see them kind of building these pieces, you know, Jamar Chase, a lot of this stuff has been weird. I mean, there's been some very strange big plays that he's had, but there's no doubt the guy has juice. I mean, he is explosive. He can make some stuff happen. That's great. I mean, having that element in your offense is really important. Jonah Williams is playing very well for them right now at left tackle. I think Joe Burrow is going to be very good. I think he is the type of quarterback that you can build around. So now, and you know, Joe Mixon is a fine running back, but you have a left tackle, a receiver, and a quarterback, and then T. Higgins is a good player. I mean, this is, you can get going with this stuff. This is really a core that you can get excited about at premium positions. On defense, they're not homegrown guys, but they've gotten a lot. Like, Chidobi Uzi played great again yesterday. I mean, he's just been such a nice influence and such a nice presence for them on defense. They're just stacking this stuff up. You know, I think that they're going to be frisky all year, and I think that's what you should hope for as a Bengals fan. I don't think they were ever going to be a contender this year, but you just want to be building in the right direction. And I think that's exactly what's happening right now. You know, we've got some questions about whether the gap between you know some of Zach Taylor's decision making and some of the other coaches in the league are going to leave this team shorthanded. I apologize for not remembering who sent that email. You know, that could be a worthwhile kind of founded anxiety, but I still think there are a lot of reasons for Bengals fans to be happy about the direction that this thing is headed. Yeah. And I, I believe the guys, I believe Jack asked that question and Jack sounds so dejected in that voicemail that I forgot they're <laughs> actually three and two and they just lost to yes. a championship contender that they took to overtime. So, you know, there, there are definitely reasons to look up for this Bengals team. One of the things that I'd be excited about is, I was worried that the Bengals were on a similar trajectory to a team like the Raiders on defense when Paul Gunther was there. Where you have all these free agent signings, you have all these moving pieces, and you change out the component parts every year, and no progress is made because you just aren't well coached defensively. It doesn't matter what the pieces look like. Guys just aren't on the same page. And that was my concern is that this defense under Lou Amaruno would look the same way. It has not. They've looked pretty good. This isn't a laughing stock defense. I don't think they're a top five unit like they've shown over the last five weeks or so and what the numbers bear out, but I think they're a solid defense. And to me, that's progress that I didn't necessarily expect them to make, even with the signings they made this offseason. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, let's get to our next one here. This is not something that we have talked about on the show yet just because strange timing. Like the, the Thursday night game happens after we record Friday's show and then Sunday we spend recapping what happened during the day. So we have not talked at all about Russell Wilson. Spencer sent a very simple email and said, so with the defense the way that it is and Russell Wilson out, what do the Seahawks do? 
do they have an easy enough slate to stay afloat? I don't know the answer to this. I mean, it's a very strange spot that they're in. They're two and three right now. They're in a division with an undefeated Cardinals team and a Rams team that I think all of us think is pretty damn good. It says that Russell Wilson's going to miss about six weeks. All right, so four to eight weeks. They have their bye in there, which is nice. Here are their five games over the next six weeks. Pittsburgh on Sunday Night Football, New Orleans, Jacksonville, Green Bay, Arizona. I guess they can go two and three in that stretch. Then they're sitting at four and six. I don't really know what that means for this team in 2021. And with all of the questions about their future, I don't know what this means for that for this team beyond 2021. It, it's, I don't know, man. It's a murky, murky place that they're in right now. Yeah, and I mean, the, they could end up losing all those, yeah, you know, all these games that Russell Wilson's missing because. They don't have a defense to fall back on. Oh, I think they on. can still beat the Jags. Okay, yeah, they might be able to beat the Jags. They'll probably beat the Jags. But, I mean, just the, their, de- their defense is alarmingly bad. I mean, uh, you know, we talked about Sean McVay being a great play caller, but against the Seahawks on Thursday night, he called the same play like five or six times, and they hit big <laughs> on a lot of those plays. And, uh, you know, Pete Carroll talked about it after the game. He said, like, things have things that have happened in the game are things that we practice and it's alarming because we're on it and it's up to the players to execute. And, you know, a quote like that just alarms me because, you know, they're they're saying they're working on these things and it's just not translating on a field. So maybe the the voice, you know, his voice is not being heard. Um and I, I just don't see how they're gonna get get out of this. The best option uh, might just be to tank and try to rebuild that defensive line because right now they got LJ Collier. I know he's a first round pick, but he, you know he's been disappointing. Myoa is supposed to be starting at Leo, um, and this C- Seattle uh, style of defense just does not work when you ha- don't have a strong pass rush. Um, so I, you know, they need to rebuild this line, and they don't have they don't have a first round pick. Um, so maybe tanking is not a great idea. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this, like you said, this is just a very murky place where the Seahawks are at right now. And, you know, it's tough to see how they're going to get out of this. I mean, you look at it. So they don't have their first round pick. They're, they're sending it to the Jets. Russell Wilson, we're not that far removed from him wanting out of there. Mm-hmm. You have a 70 year old head coach who's supposed to be a defensive minded head coach. The defense looks like an absolute mess. Their kind of core of talent next year, for the most part, looks like DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Russell Wilson, and not a ton else. I mean, on defense, obviously, you still have Bobby Wagner, but he's getting older. Jamal Adams is there. I mean, this team just doesn't have that many blue chip players, especially on defense. I don't know what the solution is. I really don't. I think that they're in a very strange middle ground right now. And the questions about Russell Wilson's future, I think, are legitimate. And whether or not maybe they should trade him next offseason. And maybe they should consider whether they need a new regime there and kind of press the reset button a little bit. I mean, these are things I did not expect to ask three weeks ago. But if this is going to be another lost season for them, I don't know. I really don't know where they go from here. I don't, And I don't know if they can stay afloat. I think the biggest question with that is what the rest of the NFC looks like. You know, if they're four and six, can they potentially be in the mix for that second wild card spot? Because the Rams and the Cardinals most likely will be in the playoffs. 
that second wild card spot, I guess it kind of depends on what happens with the Panthers and the Saints. You know, teams like that, if the Bears can, defense can continue to play well, can they hover around 500? But I mean, that's a lot to ask for them to, for Wilson to miss five games, for them to still grab that spot. And if they don't make the playoffs this year, and they're just kind of sitting there again wondering what they are, I really don't know what the answer to that is. All right, let's get to our next voicemail here. Hey, Robert. Big fan, Robert. Anyway, um, Saints fan in Houston, Paul. Uh, the Saints are getting absolutely crushed by injuries, but somehow still winning. Uh, lost Taysom Hill and Deontay Harris last week. And I'm wondering, like, how good do you think the Saints could actually be once we get all the pieces back? Michael Thomas, Teron Armstead. Uh, Marcus Davenport, Deontay Harris if he stays out, Traquan Smith, Will Lutz. Uh, the injuries are endless, but we're still looking pretty good. Ted, what do you think about this? What do you think about just the Saints ceiling this year with all of those pieces coming back? Because when you list them off like that in succession, there's a lot of guys. I mean, they are still staying afloat despite what's happened to them on the injury front. Yeah, I mean, I think that they could be a borderline top 10 offense if they get some of those pieces back. I mean, they're still moving the ball um, on the ground. You know, they're still moving the ball with Jameis Winston. And I think where Jameis Winston gets in trouble is when he gets pressured and he starts just heaving up throws while he's getting hit. And, you know, when you get, obviously, with Teron Armstead, who's arguably the best left tackle in the game back, that's going to help his protection. You get Michael Thomas back, that's going to give him an outlet to get rid of the ball a little quicker. Um, So... You know, and, and, you know, obviously they have their pieces there. I, I think they're going to be fine offensively, defensively. I haven't really watched them as closely, but if the offense is playing at a high level, you know, I think they could get into playoffs as a wild card. I absolutely think they can. They've been a top five defense without mm-hmm. Marcus Davenport, with uh, some of the other injuries they've had to deal with. They're still really good defensively. David Anyamata has been suspended. He's going to be back soon. They've really been able to stay afloat on that side of the ball in an impressive way. Marshawn Lattimore is playing at a really high level right now. He was fantastic yesterday against Terry McLaurin. And they shut down that Washington offense for the most part that entire game. And I think that they're flying around on that side of the ball. And I totally agree on offense. This is an average NFL offense so far. Without Michael Thomas, without Eric McCoy, their center for the last several games, without Teron Armstead, I mean, guys like Calvin Throckmorton are playing for this team. James Hurst was at left tackle yesterday. You know, the receivers are their best receiver this year has been Deontay Harris. Like, that's all you need to know about this team. And Michael Thomas is potentially coming back. So I think they're going to be riding the Jameis coaster all year, no matter what the offensive line looks like. I think that yesterday's game against Washington was fairly emblematic of what it's like to watch Jameis Winston. I mean, just the highs and the lows are incredible. And I think that will continue. But like you said, if they can have a formula that looks closer to what they did in week one, where they're just going to try to run the ball, let Jameis throw the ball 18 times a game, you get one or two big plays hopefully out of there, and that's what it looks like on top of having an elite defense, I think that does make you a playoff team in the NFC. For the reasons we just said with Seattle, there really aren't a lot of other teams in that mix. And the NFC East doesn't have any team that's going to push you there. If Carolina falls off, then it's really just the Bucks in the NFC South. 
do we really have hope that the Bears are going to stick around with their questions on offense? I, I don't have a ton of confidence in that. I truly believe they're one of the best seven teams in the NFC especially with all of those guys coming back. And that's just the type of team that, especially that defense, you don't want to play them in the playoffs. It's just going to be a group that you really don't want to see. And I think that's a pretty good outcome for the 2021 Saints. It's not that far off from what I assumed they could be with all of the roster talent that they still have there. Uh, yeah, I, I agree that if they do make the playoffs with that defense, that's you definitely don't want to see them as a, as a wild card team because – as we know, and we, you know, you, you talked about Winston could play like a top five quarterback, and you know he and, and he could also play like a, a bottom five type of quarterback. But if you run into the good Winston in the playoffs, you know that could be it for your team. So I, you know, I, I think they could make the wild card, and they'll, they'll be a dangerous team if they get there. I am fascinated to see what the Jameis Winston Michael Thomas relationship is going to look like. <laughs> I mean, Michael Thomas with Drew Brees made all the sense in the world, right? You have this exacting mm-hmm. quarterback, you have a receiver that just incredibly good at finding space and the way that they, those two fit together. It made sense to me. I understood how those pieces worked. The Winston Thomas matchup is so different and it's very, very hard to understand what that's going to look like in practice. I do think this offense will be better with Michael Thomas back and even Traquan Smith. I mean, just the guys they're playing with right now, the fact that they're staying afloat is very impressive. All right. Ted real quick one for you here. I thought you could easily answer this. Tim from North Carolina said, I know teams run a lot of RPOs and know broadly what they are, but I see football Twitter calling out broadcasters for overusing the term or misidentifying them. What exactly makes up an RPO and what differentiates them from other similar plays? Uh, RPO is is a run pass option. So it's basically a run play where the quarterback has the option to throw the ball and uh, they're usually they're gonna usually the offense leaves one player unblocked that has a conflict uh, a run pass response be conflict so you know he might have to play the B gap but he also has to play the hook so they'll run a you know outside zone play where they're reading the weak side linebacker and if he triggers and plays the B gap they'll throw the ball behind him on a glance route or if he sits back and doesn't play the run then they'll hand the ball off and the offense will have a numbers advantage because they have one less. Uh, player to worry about and you know I think where broadcasters get it wrong is they just assume every shotgun run is a, an, an RPO or every shotgun play action is an RPO and wh- where you can tell is it's watching the offensive line if the offensive line is getting off and they're run blocking they're getting downfield then that's a, a RPO but if they're sitting back and they're being passive and pass blocking even if there's a play fake that's probably a play action play yeah that's always how I've tried to differentiate them is by watching the offensive line and you can just tell with all of the called and not called offense yeah. or ineligible receiver downfield penalties that there have been this year. It, it's been a much bigger issue and a much bigger topic mm-hmm. than it ever has been before in the league, similar to what the way it is in college football, where the rules are less stringent. So you see it called less often. But I can't remember a year where I've seen this many offensive linemen downfield on throws. And again, both called and not called just because of how many RPOs we've seen. So that's how, always how I've differentiated them by just watching the offensive line, how much they're run blocking, how much they're not. That's a simple way to do it, but that's always the way that I've tried to. All right. Jared Williams and Ryan both asked questions about just their concerns about the Browns future and their concerns about the way the Browns stack up. Ryan asked, whether or not the Browns are more limited by their quarterback's abilities, by Baker's abilities, or an offense based on running and play action 
when they're forced into bad circumstances. Jared Williams asked, if it's too nihilistic an outlook to look at the way that Justin Herbert erased some of the mistakes in that game and Baker just couldn't, are we at a place where they're going to have a great roster, a good coach, and a GM, but for all the edges, those things bring us to a place where the quarterback cannot convert in big moments? Are you? We talked about this a little bit on last night's show. I'm wondering where you are on this, Ted. Where are you at about just Baker Mayfield's overall status and how it affects the Browns' ceiling as a team? seems like we get this question every week, but we've gotten it multiple times every single week, so I feel compelled to address it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the construction of the offense and the way that Stefanski call, calls plays is a result of the quarterback, you know, and, and we saw that with Sean McVay, how he was pretty heavy play action screen, and then all of a sudden he gets uh, Matthew Stafford and they're at the bottom of the league in play action. So uh, I think there's Mayfield definitely has some limitations that affects uh, the way that Stefanski calls plays. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think, you know, just judging by that Chargers-Browns game, I think it was a little unfair to expect uh, Mayfield to make plays in the fourth quarter. He got stuck in some third and really long situations. I also think the injury is it, going to give this, uh, I think, year two in this offense is where we really have to evaluate Mayfield and his ability to uh, execute in the, the drop-back passing game. But it it's going to be difficult because I think that injury is really you know, it's going to lead to some, to, to hit, or it's going to be the cause of him missing some passes as well. And it's still early in the season. So, you know, it's kind of a cop-out answer, but I, I do just want to see more, um, more of Mayfield to really make a judgment on whether he can be that quarterback that erases mistakes as um, the, um, the listener asked. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. His inability to erase mistakes, I think is real. I think that they need to be playing on schedule. Being able to dictate the game is really important for them, and I think really important for him. I think that's always going to be the case with him to a certain extent, especially when you compare him to some of these other quarterbacks. Their viewpoint, on I think, as a franchise has been he's good enough to win with, and that's, mm-hmm. I think, the company line that they have taken. And I still believe that's true. There can be a gap between Baker Mayfield and Justin Herbert, and you can still have – a worthwhile team and a championship caliber team. I think that's still possible. And I think that's kind of where we are. I will say something I did not take into account last night when Nate and I were talking about the Browns. It's hard to keep track of this on a Sunday all the time when so many things are going on. I didn't realize that Jack Conklin had also gotten hurt. So now the Browns were down both of their starting tackles and their swing tackles. They had Blake Hans at left tackle, which they, they, he was playing there the whole game. They were trying they had to help him out. There's a lot of chip help. And then they had their fourth string tackle playing right tackle by the end of that game. You're missing Jarvis Landry. I mean, they have so many injuries right now. I think that might have affected some of the decisions that they made later in the game. I believe Kevin Stefanski said as much after the game when it came to running the ball on third and 10, for instance. That, to me, would be the bigger question for the Browns right now than Baker Mayfield's aptitude. It would be how injuries are affecting this roster overall. I mean, the offensive tackles are a huge part of the way this team succeeds. The offensive line is a massive part of the way this team has been built. If those guys are going to miss extended time in Wills and Conklin, that's a huge deal. Jarvis Landry's already on injured reserve, and I think that they can survive without him, but it still helps to have a guy who does all the things he does for them. So the amount of injuries piling up to me would be my bigger concern with this team short term, and then we can address the Mayfield stuff later on if they do in fact hit a wall later in the season 
All right, let's get to our next voicemail here. This one's from Dan in St. Petersburg. Good morning. This is Dan calling from St. Petersburg. I'm a displaced and, of course, disappointed Lions fan and wondering if there's ever been a wide receiver group currently uh, constructed or previously constructed maybe in the last 20 years, uh, wide receiver group worse than what the Lions currently have. I know Hawkinson's a little adds a little bit of a flavor to that group, but as far as actual receivers go, is this the worst we've ever seen? Thanks. I love questions like this because it inspires me to do a little bit of research and see just how bad it's gotten for other teams. I actually did look into this. It's not super easy to answer just because you can't see every receiver group lined up. What I did was I went back and I looked at which teams over the last 20 years averaged the fewest passing yards per game, which quarterbacks did while throwing a certain amount of attempts. There are some good answers here. There are a couple teams from the early 2000s that are pretty rough. Like the 2004 Ravens, no wide receiver on that team had more than 35 catches on the year. A guy named Travis Taylor led the team in receiving. He had one season in his career with more than 60 catches. Kevin Johnson, who had a decent year for the Browns back in 2001, was their second leading receiver that year. But there, And there's a few other examples. The 2000 Dolphins were pretty brutal. The 2000 Falcons were pretty brutal. But we don't even have to go back that far. How about last year's Patriots? Jacoby Myers led that team with 729 receiving yards. Demir Bird had 77 targets for the 2020 Patriots. He's not even a ro- he's barely a rotational player for the Bears right now, who I think are 29th or 30th in EPA per play on offense. But I have the actual answer. I have the actual correct answer for who is the a receiving core that might be worse than this Lions team and might be the, la- the worst one of the last 20 years. Let me present you the 2018 Buffalo Bills. Their number one receiver on that team that year who finished with 541 receiving yards was Robert Foster. Remember Robert Foster? Yes. Wow. No longer in the league. Is not Jeez. in the league anymore. He was the number one receiver on that team. Number two was Kelvin Benjamin who had 62 targets that season and 23 receptions for a cool catch rate of 37.1%. This is the answer. That 2018 Bills receiving core is officially worse than what the Lions are trotting out right now. I feel confident in saying that. Well, I forgot Kelvin Benjamin went to a different team after the the Panthers. Uh, What team did he try out for tight end as? Oh, the, the Giants, the, the okay. Giants. And he was like, peace, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, that that's I think that's the answer. I definitely think it's yeah, the 2018 I, Bills who responded by signing Cole Beasley and John Brown in the exact same offseason because they were like, we need to do something about this issue. Yeah, I was going to say it's credit to them for building that receiver core into one of the best in NFL it, it, that quickly after um, that kind of disaster in 2018. Wasn't there a Chiefs team that where their wide receivers didn't catch any touchdowns throughout the entire season? There was. It was the 2014 Chiefs. Dwayne Bow did catch 60 passes that year for 754 yards. And Dwayne Bow had been a productive receiver in the NFL at one point. So I feel like that might put them over the top. But other than that, their number two receiver on that team, their number two wide receiver, their second in receptions 
on that team was Albert Wilson with 16. Donnie Avery was third with 15. So they had one receiver on that team, one wide receiver, that caught more than 16 passes. That's incredible. Like, that Jeez. is a truly remarkable <laughs> statistic. The, the Lions this year are going to push those teams. Just because, I mean, even the guys they signed this offseason, I mean, Tyrell Williams, and uh, those guys aren't even contributing in any sort of meaningful way. So you have Quintess Cephas. Amon Ross St. Brown is a fourth-round pick, though. I mean, he is somebody that I think they invested in to some degree. It's pretty bad. It is pretty bad when Khalif Raymond is getting as much run as he is with this group. But we've had some in the past that I definitely think can rival it. I sincerely appreciate the question from Dan. That is a very fun one. All right, let's get to a couple Patriots questions. Gabriel Schoenfeld asked, despite all the money spent in free agency, the Patriots, supposedly the class of the league, course, coaching organization-wise, look like a mess. They can't hold on to the ball. They're bizarrely averse to passing the red zone, and they can't seem to get off the field in key defensive situations. Plus, we haven't drafted well in years. Should I resign myself to mediocrity and twice yearly blowouts against the Bills for the next decade? Micah Boys asked, He's trying to figure out the Patriots one week after nearly beating defending champs. They nearly lose to the Texans. Are they a good team, a bad team, a team that plays down to their competition? Ted, where are we at on the 2021 Patriots? Because like Micah and Gabriel, I am very confused about exactly what this team is supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, they obviously haven't drafted well in a while. And some of their bigger free agent ticket guys aren't performing the way you would want with that kind of money. But I mean... This team could legitimately be four and one if they could hold on to the ball in in scoring position. They lost a late fumble against the uh, Dolphins um, in the you know, at the goal line. They they fumbled in scoring position against uh, the Bucks and could have beat the Bucks. I, I think they I do believe that they have a championship level defense. I'm not saying they're the best defense in the league, but uh, they have a defense that could win them games and get them get get them in the playoffs. And uh, they're doing things that Patriots teams don't usually do. They're missing tackles, like against the Texans. Uh, a couple of their touchdowns were due to missed tackles you don't see happen often. Um, the fumbling problem, uh, they take that stuff seriously, and they don't usually do that. But um, it, it's happened in the beginning of the season. So I think, you know, even with all of the, the bad general manager type of moves they've made, this team could be a team that, will be in the playoff conversation later in the season if they get some of these problems fixed. And if you believe that Mac Jones can develop into a quality type of starter, um, you know, I, I don't know if he's going to, uh, you know, start playing close to the level of, uh, you know, the, like a top five quarterback or anything, but with that defense and if this offensive line could get healthy, I mean, they played play a game with what, like four of their starting offensive linemen, not playing in the game, if they could get healthy, run the ball a little bit better, and, and Mac Jones develops as the season goes, I think this could be a team that you know is in that playoff conversation, even uh, being where they are now. I tend to agree with that. I think the offensive line health is the number one question. Mm -hmm. Can they get those guys back and healthy? Because that was supposed to be the strength of this roster offensively, and it just it, it hasn't been. I watched that Texans game over again today. Those guys were living in the backfield. It's not like the Texans have marquee pass rushers. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were struggling with Jacob Martin in a way that you shouldn't. I mean, you got Kajust out there. I mean, they're just not the offensive line that we expected to play for the Patriots coming into the year. I still think they're pass catchers on offense. I mean, it's it's not a good situation. I mean, the amount of money they played Nelson Aguilar, it's kind of striking 
just how little explosiveness and pop they have on the outside and what they've invested in those guys. Johnny Smith ran like a dozen routes or something, considering what they paid him this offseason. I still think the pass catching group is very limited and it's going to limit the ceiling of this offense, along with Mac Jones. I mean, he's I think he's operating at a pretty decent level. I think that their play action game and their ability to kind of create space over the middle of the field makes a lot of sense just as an overarching philosophy. But I think the ceiling of their offense is extremely limited. They're going to have to run the ball. And that's how they're going to have to just move the ball. That's how they're going to have to create offense with this group. And I think the offensive line getting healthy is the biggest question with that. On defense, I think they're going to be fine. You know, yesterday, a couple fluky plays. You got a flea flicker. You got to play down the right sideline that's just over mm-hmm. a guy's outstretched hand, and they miss a tackle for a long touchdown. So I think their offense is going to be below average all year. They're going to lack explosion, and they're going to have to matriculate down the field. And it's really difficult to consistently create offense and score points when you have to play like that. But I think that's going to how they're going to have to play, and I think their defense is going to end up being really good. So I think they'll probably hover somewhere around 500 and try to sneak into the playoffs. I think that's what this team is. And with a couple bounces of the ball, their record looks a lot better than it does right now. Yeah, and as far as you know, the future, it just all depends on how you think – uh, Mac Jones is going to develop moving forward. You know, I, I, it's tough to see me, I to see to, for me to see him develop into a top ten quarterback. But if they could keep the defense at a, at a strong level, which it has, you know, it's, it's tough to do, but they have Bill Belichick, um, and he could play around that, I don't know, twelve to fifteen range. You know, I think the Patriots can be a, a team that is is in a playoff conversation. Uh, for the next you know 10 years or so but um, it just it, it depends on how Mac Jones is going to develop yeah and if you look at the investments they've made along the on offense it's not great I mean they're paying Nelson mm-hmm. Aguilar 15 million dollars next year they're playing Hunter Henley 15 million dollars next year John Smith's making 13.8 million dollars next year they've got about 24 million dollars in cap space as it currently sits and that's with an offense that really doesn't have any pieces that you're excited about. I mean, whatever you think of Mac Jones, the supporting pieces in the skill position rooms are not very good. I mean, there is not a lot of upside there. So they're pretty maxed out on offense in more ways than one. And it's going to depend on how much Mac Jones can develop. And I don't know, I, similar to you, I have similar questions about where the ceiling of this group is with Mac Jones. And I think their defense can be pretty good, but where does that leave you? And I don't really know the answer. I think it's fairly underwhelming, if I'm going to be honest. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with Lindsey Jones. We'll dig more into the John Gruden situation and kind of the league-wide ramifications of that. Some of the news that came out today from the Washington Post about the NFL's decision to not release anything else related to the Washington football team investigation. Looking forward to digging into some of that with Lindsay. We will also have our Chiefs writer, Nate Taylor, on, my good friend, to talk about some Chiefs panic. We very rarely get to discuss bad things they relate to the Chiefs, but this team is in kind of a strange spot after some smooth sailing over the last several seasons. Please go check out all of Ted's work and everything we do on the site. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.